Well, a beautiful Wednesday morning to you. Nope, Wednesday afternoon. That's the first time I've done that, by the way. Because I was running around a little too much just before getting to the microphone. There's a lot of people here, a lot of good people here, celebrating what uh, J.P. Morgan and Jamie, Jamie Diamond, like I'm on a first-name basis, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, 10 years ago, committed first $50 million, then it went to 100 then it went to $200 million. The head of the nation's largest bank joined Mayor Mike Duggan and others last night to celebrate this 10-year anniversary of J.P. Morgan Chase's commitment to what ultimately became that $200 million in new philanthropic and business investments, according to J.C. Rindle from the Detroit Free Press. And uh, I'm really very pleased that Steve Gregorian, president and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club, decided to do this today and invited us to be here. We're the only broadcasters that are here, as far as I know. Is that right, Rieger? Tony Butler, our engineer, you guys didn't see anybody when you were setting up? No, I haven't seen anybody else here but us. It is a very crowded venue. You know, when I did the morning show and we would broadcast from here, I would have an easy parking space right right across from the door. Today I parked about 10 million miles away, which I didn't even know the parking lot went back that far, but I parked back there got all the way to the door, reached for my phone, and went, oh, no. So I walked all the way back, got the phone, because you can't go anywhere without your phone. Used to be I wouldn't go anywhere without my watch. I'd leave the house, I'd look at my wrist, and I'd go, oh, I forgot my watch. Even though I was going to a radio station that had about 100 watches, clocks, and, and timekeepers everywhere, I still needed my watch. It's kind of bizarre. But anyway, now that this therapy session is over, we're here. And if you can't be with us from noon to 2, you can be with us anytime by going to thegreatvoice.com, thegreatvoice.com, and have them download our podcast for you every day. We would would love that because that way we can be with you and we want to be with you. All right, um, Rieger, you are our Apple expert, possibly... Uh, Stephen Jobs had you as a son and didn't tell anyone. I'm not sure exactly, but you love <laughs> you love and live for big deals from Apple. So the big deal came out, the announcements. But then yesterday you told me that there was a uh, a software update. I said I just did one, 16.1.1, and you said, oh, no, there's a new one. It's a 17. All right, this was the new operating system update that they announced back when they announced the you know the new phone. When, so. You mean not recently? Not recently. They oh, said totally that they said that the new iOS system would be available, and yesterday it was available to. Uh, I think it was actually Monday that it was actually able. You were able to download it. It's got some cool little features. Well, it is very. It's, you know, I've downloaded the software all along. At first, I didn't. Brian Morton and I discussed that, and he'd always say, you know, wait a couple of days. So if they find some problems, whatever. And of course, now Brian is. No longer an Apple guy. No, but be that as it may, he's I, left. I am. He's left. He's left the fold. He left the cult. He left the cult. <laughs> he left the cult. Yes, he did. So um, I've downloaded them all since then, and rarely do I see anything. This one, you said to me, "No, this is a big one." You aren't kidding. I see. I mean, I I don't suggest it based on any technical knowledge, other than it's so big that it obviously does a lot of things differently and it's probably a real good idea to download it but you'll notice it right away everything is different in fact some things i think are different just to show they're different like where i used to hit the speaker 
used to be on the right. Now it's on the left. And, and if you hit the right, you, you hang up on the phone call. I don't know why they do that. It's like Tony keep, with the microphone. Keep, keeps you on your toes. It does keep us on our toes, but I don't want to be on my toes all the time. I am not a ballerina, nor have I ever played one on TV. But that's why when Tony puts a microphone switch here for me to use, he always says, you want it on the right or left? I said, I don't care. Just put it on the same side all the time. Is there any sense in that? There is, isn't there? I mean, I could reach over there and touch it, not even have to look at it, or reach over here, depending on where it is. Are you doing this to keep me on my toes, Tony? Is that what's happened here? I never thought about that. Oh, okay. Could they hear you on the ear just now? Oh, okay. All right, he said he is keeping me on my toes. All right, we, we, we're going to talk a lot about the J.P. Morgan uh, visit. We're going to talk with the man who uh, talked him into doing this 10 years ago. He had just become mayor, and the mayor liked, I mean, the, uh, the J.P. Morgan guys, including Jamie Dimon, liked what this mayor was doing to try to get the city out of the bankruptcy and said, you know what, we can help. And so they spoke, and they met, and they've become good friends. And the number of things that Jamie Dimon has done for Detroit that we don't even think about that came about from that now $200 million commitment, I wouldn't be surprised. By the way, we're in the banquet room. Last time I was in this banquet room, we had a panel uh, up against the wall, a stage. I was the moderator MC. And of all people, it was MSU former coach Mel Tucker. It was basketball king Tom Izzo. And it was their athletic director, Haller. Yep. And um, there may have been somebody else, but I can't remember. But we did a big deal here, and it's the first time I met Mel Tucker, and I thought he was a very nice guy. And, you know, we know Izzo because we've been having him on for years and all of that. But anyway, that's the last time I was in this room, strangely, coincidentally enough. And it's empty because now they're in the soundboard, which is a beautifully set up room for any kind of a presentation, concert, anything. It's got a great sound system, great seating. And unfortunately, we couldn't be both places, so we had to choose here for because they'll be in here from 1 to 2. So it's quiet now. The hardworking people are getting everything ready and all of that. But in the other room, and I'm sure we'll find out, I wouldn't be surprised if Jamie Morgan on this anniversary decides to donate even more money to Detroit. Any any bets? Anybody think that might happen? I've learned not to bet you anymore, so, yeah, I'm just going to agree. Okay. Um, other things that are going on, uh, I, I, I just keep, I hate to see what's happening at MSU. Um, the headlines keep coming. MSU has other motives, Tucker says. He's going to fight him. He's going to sue him. He's going to do all those things. And I go back to the day that we learned about this, and I looked at the contract and said, I, you know what? Title Nine or no Title Nine, it's not a he said, she said. It's a he said, she said, and then he said he did it. And I think he really believed that if the proof came out, as he says, that she was a willing partner in what he was saying and doing on the telephone, I think he thought it really mattered if they were consenting adults doing something in the privacy of their own homes. They were separated by miles. But as I said at the time, I defined, I don't have any of my notes in front of me, I defined moral turpitude, and that's a tough one 
because it, it depends on a lot of other things. What it might mean to some person may not mean the same to another person. But what means the same to everyone was the last part of his contract that said, basically, these are not the words, if he did anything to besmirch, and I know that word wasn't there, to besmirch the university, if he did anything to make MSU look bad or be embarrassed, they could release him and not pay him. I'm sorry. Doing what he admitted he did. Had he not admitted it, this would be a different story, but he admitted that he did it, thinking it was going to be okay because he could prove that she was along with that. But the point is, for that embarrassment part, didn't matter if she begged him to do it. Who wants to think about their coach doing that on the phone with somebody, and then you see him on the sidelines and leading these young men and teaching them how to be upstanding citizens, etc., etc., which... People may have forgotten that's what coaches do. Tom Izzo never forgot it. Jim Harbaugh doesn't forget it. Bo Schembechler never forgot it. But anyway, um, this would have been a very easy case, should have been an easy case if they would have done it right away. Every time you hesitate, you cause issues. And they hesitated. And now it's going to be just a, a noisy mess, unfortunately. But we support MSU in every way and just hope that they can get through this soon and move on. They've had to deal with so much for so long. All right. 12-14 now, and uh, we're here. If you're listening at thegreatvoice.com on a podcast, you know the timing is off. It's sunny and beautiful now. It might be dark when you're listening, but we like you uh, listening whenever you can. As we continue on this special edition of Focus with Paul W. Smith, here we are, live from the Detroit Economic Club luncheon at the soundboard inside the Motor City Casino. And we're talking about, well, all good things of Detroit and Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan Chase. Stay with us. Well, this is the calm before the storm. They're in listening to Jamie Dimon now speaking in the soundboard, which is a spectacular place to have anything. Uh, concert, uh, speech, meeting, whatever. They do a nice job here uh, at the soundboard inside the Motor City Casino. Then they'll all come this next hour into the banquet room where we are. And I thank Tony Butler for getting here earlier, as well as Dave Rieger, to be set up uh, on location like this. There's a lot going on. We're happy to be smack dab in the middle of it. There's uh, an interesting uh, story out there. I'm not sure, I guess, an AP poll, whatever that says while Americans generally view Israel as a U.S. partner or ally, many question whether the two countries share the same interests and values, this according to this new poll. The results come just ahead of a bilateral meeting between President Biden and Israeli Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, which is happening today, uh, their first sit-down since Netanyahu's return to office last year. Evan Brown is... Following this story, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor, it's an odd, uh, it's an odd question, but not not an invalid question to say if Americans are questioning whether Israel shares U.S. values. Evan, nice to have you with us as always. Good to be here. Um, I I haven't heard this question in a very long time, and <laughs> I I don't know what the the answer is. You're going to enlighten us, but I can say this. And I've admired this about Israel. It's Israel first. Let there never be a mistake about that. 
if it's something that's bad for Israel, they're not going to be for it. If it's something that's good for Israel, they're going to be for it. We used to be like that in the United States. Well, that that certainly is true, and I think that is reflective of some very large differences between Israel society, Israeli society, and American society these days. Uh, Israel does live under constant threat of attack from some of its neighbors, um, and it is constantly striving to reach peace agreements with many of its neighbors. There have been some some significant progress in that over the past few years with the Abraham Accords, uh, but still. Uh, uh, Israel faces immediate uh, threats, uh, violent fre- uh, threats, actual violence from uh, either terrorist entities or state actors, uh, namely Iran, uh, but others. Uh, and because of that, uh, Israeli society tends to be a lot more cohesive a lot more quickly than American society will be. Um, imagine facing something of a 9-11 type of attack, uh, you know, that could happen sort of at any time and, and has happened repeatedly throughout your life as an Israeli, uh, then you, uh, you you might begin to picture what life could be like over there. Uh, and so uh, I, I think um, I think that's the, the, the explanation for the point you just made. Uh, regarding this poll, this is conducted by the AP and their public research arm, which is done, I think, with the University of Chicago. And uh, sometimes we can be skeptical of polling and and I think that's a good a good thing because uh, in this case the poll was all of 1,100 people polled over a few days in August. Um, and exactly how telling of that is that of a nation like ours of 330 so on million people uh, with all their various ideas and feelings and whatnot. Uh, but according to this poll, overall only about three out of ten of Amer- of all Americans would feel that Israel is a an ally that shares American interests and values. About four out of ten would say that Israel is a, a partner that uh, the U.S. should cooperate with but doesn't think Israel shares its interests or values. Uh, fewer than that, maybe around one percent either think – or uh, you know, one percent, one out of ten maybe uh, – well, I guess that would be ten percent um, – would, would view uh, Israel as a rival that the U.S. should be competing with but not as in conflict with. And then a smaller, even smaller percentage view Israel as an adversary that the U.S. is in conflict with. Really? Um, make of that an what adversary. you will. Wow. Yeah. Make of that what you will and what the motivations are behind, your, uh, behind someone's uh, view in that regard. But uh, that's what the results of this AP poll uh, show. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure the poll was taken, I'm guessing the poll was taken place before this latest news. I mean... If I'm Israel and I see our supposed friend, the United States of America, doing a swap for citizens, we give them back five of their citizens. They give us back five of our citizens. But, oh, by the way, we're going to free up $6 billion, which is ludicrous. And they see $6 billion going to Iran, who would just as soon see Israel wiped off the face of the earth They've got to be a little bit shook up by that, wouldn't you think? Well, they most certainly are. Uh, and to use the phrase wiped off the face of the earth, you're, you're not paraphrasing, you're not inventing it. This is language that has come from the Ayatollah, which has come from various successive elected, supposedly elected presidents of, uh, of Iran, including the, the current one who was just welcomed into the United States to speak at the United Nations yesterday, uh, Ibrahim Raisi. 
In fact, while he was up there deriding the United States as an imperial power that's oppressive in the world uh, and extolling the virtues of the Islamic Republic and how well it, it protects women, uh, the Israeli ambassador was holding up a picture of Mashi, uh, forgive me, I forget her last name, but she was that killed. That was by, killed while being held uh, by them. By held by them. And so that, that uh, uh, ambassador, by the way, was let out in cuffs. Uh, by U.N. security. So uh, I think that's more illustrative of the U.N. than anything. But six more billion dollars to, to Iran, is it's, it's obvious where the money gets spent. It's not on farming and education. It's on funding terrorism in satellite states. And to hear our president say with a straight face that he's controlling and it'll be well watched that this money won't be used to give them more nuclear capability or anything else is is... Sad, actually. I was going to say laughable. It isn't. It's downright well, uh, sad. Other, others, others felt it was well watched while it was impounded in South Korea. So, uh, you know, I guess there's a difference of opinion somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, a big one. Always appreciate your work. Eben Brown, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. Take care. See, see you later. We continue on WJR. And are we lucky to have... Our own Lloyd Jackson, WJR senior news analyst here, uh, he is doing reports for and from the auto show. Uh, this uh, is another one of those special reports. Plus, we have other things that we will talk with Lloyd about, about, well, a couple of issues with our Detroit Police Department, because nobody's closer to the Detroit Police Department and Chief James White in Detroit than I think you are, Lloyd. Nice to have you here. Good afternoon. Paul W., you know, during Technology Days at the North American International Auto Show, I stopped by the Phoenix Contact booth. Now, Phoenix Contact is a global market leader of connectivity, industrial controls, and automation. Vince Cariotti is Senior Director of E-Mobility Sales and Marketing, and he told me the company is not only celebrating a century in business, but also a decade in e-mobility. Yeah, it's really exciting, Lloyd. You know, 100 years for a company to survive and to be in a privately held company is excellent. Um, and then to spend 10 years in e-mobility, which is really exciting for us this year on the 100th anniversary. Um, and with us being 10 years in e-mobility, we also have been, we had launched e-mobility here in North America in 2017 at the auto show. So it's really exciting to be here now on our 10-year anniversary and, and talk about our movement to uh, bringing manufacturing here to the U.S., to uh, to accommodate the Build America, Buy America Act. So we're bringing some assembly lines in to accommodate that, and we're going to be building charging cables and connectors into um, in the U.S. and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So we're really excited about that. And then also uh, it's been exciting that we're able to now establish a subsidiary here, Phoenix Contact E-Mobility Incorporated, which will be headquartered in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Cariotti says while a tech, while at the Technology Days at the Auto Show this year, he spoke to customers about the automotives changing from the CCS Type 1 connector to the NACS connector, which is the Tesla connector, and uh, fast charging, which he says is on the minds of most who are considering the purchase of an EV. So we have a, a system that we work with the EVSE suppliers. Mm -hmm. We supplied the, the, the cable and connectors and the electronics for charging stations, but enabled to charge at, you know, 500 amps and 1,000 volts 
enables vehicles to be charged at a very fast rate. So that's some of the things we're demonstrating here at the uh, at the auto show today. And when you say a fast rate, how fast is fast? Say if a battery is at zero, which you really you never want to be at zero, but we can charge a battery from zero to 600 kilometers in about uh, 20 minutes. Now I asked Gary Ode his thoughts on the future of EV charging and the infrastructure to charge EVs. And will it be able to keep up with the ever-changing demand for different types of batteries as more and more EVs began to hit the roads. I do, of course, and of course, everybody has to work on the technology and, and develop the technology as the batteries increase, and, and that's what we're doing as manufacturers to supply the, the automotives is you know working on that research and development to keep up with that trend and increase that trend um, you know, with, with the density of batteries and the, the charging times, different, different, uh, different connectors, uh, higher voltages, higher currents, just, you know, adapting to the systems that the automakers are, you know, providing in their vehicles. For more information on the company's products, industries, and applications, you can go to phoenixcontact.com. Paul W. You know, I, I'm going to say this to Dave Rieger again. I, I've said it before. I'm going to remind him. We need to get Linda Apsey on, the president, CEO of ITC. Because I, in all of these discussions, it seems, Lloyd, they leave out one of the most important people, the people who have the, the energy superhighway, if you will. The That's people right. Who really carry the power and can tell us if we're ready or not for cars to be all electrified. Can we provide the power? It, it, do we have enough electricity? I think I love Linda because she tells it like it is. Always She's not going to pull any punches. She's just going to tell us. And so we have to get her on to talk about that. But good for you. Yeah. I know that this is the direction we're moving. Uh, it, it, I, I don't think I brought it with me because I'm on the road here. But, you know, the, the, the other day there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal um, Interestingly enough, it talked about this being the White House's strike again with the UAW because mm -hmm. it was the White House who pushed electric vehicles on the auto manufacturers. They were doing a pretty good job by themselves running things the way they ran them based on market needs and wants. Mm -hmm. It's when the government stepped in. And nobody looked at the electric, uh, electricity and the needs of the power that we would have to have if if we... I mean, they're already in California, and it's a small percentage of people who have EVs, they, they're being asked to turn off their air conditioners. They're being asked to turn off their power. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. And it's it because no one talked to Linda. No one talked to the people who produce the power and said, can we handle this? No, 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 they didn't. They just said, we need to do this to save the earth. Well, we might live like cave people eventually, and I don't know how that's saving the earth. I'm not looking forward to living like that. Anyway, yeah. since no one's closer to the police than you, and you have been for years, a quick uh, check. I see the George Hunter Detroit news story starts with Detroit police officials are investigating a video that was posted online Monday showing officers trying to handcuff a man who grappled with the cops while he and his neighbors insisted he hadn't done anything wrong. In a nutshell, he locked his keys in his own vehicle, and he was trying to get into the vehicle to get his keys. And when the police came up, all hell broke out. Yeah. And all and of a sudden, they're wrestling a guy to the ground, and the neighbors are saying, it's his car. He didn't do anything wrong. That's right. And that's the, that's the video that you see. You see them trying to arrest him and uh, take him down. He's saying, you know, no, it's, it's my car. And the, the neighbors are saying that as well. 
But what you don't see is that when the officers uh, drive up uh, to the house and they see this guy using like it looks like a coat hanger, you know, to get in and they said, hey, you know, need to, uh, you know, what's your name? And the guy wouldn't give it to him. And now, he is, said, is that's a fact. Is that is that for sure? Yes. That's, that's well, on the video. What an idiot. What, that, what an idiot the then. What an yeah. idiot. Why wouldn't he cooperate with the police? Nope. No. No, he wouldn't cooperate, which caused the police to do more investigation, of course, because, okay, you're not giving me your name. Now you're detained, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and it gets, like, ugly. I am I'm happy to hear the rest of the story from you, Lloyd Jackson, because how many times have we said it? Am I the only kid that grew up with my parents telling me how to act and react around a police officer? Yeah, I mean. You it, got it, this it, story. It, Lloyd, they told you when you were a kid. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, it would have, you know, it would not have gone left if you would have said, my name is Joe Blow. I lock, lock my keys in the car. You know, here's my ID. This is my car. You, you can't can act like the police have no business knowing they're there to save and protect people from getting yeah. their cars stolen. Like, jeez. All right. Well, I'm glad we got the rest of the story on that. Thank you, Lloyd. You're welcome, sir. Lloyd Jackson, WJR Senior News Analyst. Can I just tell you? cooperate with the police and you it's astounding how you won't get in trouble hands up on top of the wheel so they can see your hands if they pull you over you want my license yes sir i'm getting it right now it's in my right back pocket keep the other hand up on the steering wheel we all have to do that all right as we continue here on wjr well, the union representing Canadian auto workers has reached a tentative new labor deal with Ford Motor Company. I think they did it without movie clips. I didn't see any movie clips or anything. I didn't know. I didn't hear any name calling or anybody's the enemy or any. I didn't hear any of that. But anyway, the the agreement averts a potential strike by Unifor against Ford, which was the single strike target in Canada. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne reports some consider this hopeful news. As the United Auto Workers continue their work stoppage, affecting Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, and supposed to get worse Friday, uh, she has an update on the talks and joins us now. Good afternoon, Marie. Hi, Paul. Right now, we don't have any details on that Unifor deal with Ford in Canada. Union leadership says they'll present all the details of the agreement to the rank and file before a vote sometime in the very near future. Now, here at home, the picture's not quite as rosy. We have learned the union planning to expand its strike uh, unless it sees major progress in contract negotiations by Friday. We're not sure what it means by major progress. The auto companies did not directly comment on that potential action. GM released a statement saying that they're continuing to bargain in good faith, that they hope reaches an agreement as quickly as possible. At Ford, a spokesperson there said negotiations were continuing but did not give any details. The Biden administration walking back on a plan to send the acting labor secretary and a senior advisor to the uh, Detroit to meet with both sides, saying instead it was more productive for them to continue to monitor uh, the discussions in Washington. A ripple effects, Paul, are starting to show U.S. Steel says it plans to idle a blast furnace in Illinois, which would uh, idle about 300 workers. And according to a statement from U.S. Steel, 
The move is called risk mitigation in response to the UAW strike. Also, Nucor warned it might have to lay off 293 people here in Michigan. The German-based supplier ZF said that they've already had to lay off some workers at various sites, including in Michigan. So we anticipate that if this continues to drag on, that we will see more of that. I didn't, uh, Maria, I did not hear that those two guys were not going to be coming after all. I can't remember the one guy, but the other guy is Gene Sperling, who's from, I swear he's from Michigan, because we used to have him on all the time years ago. It's got to be the same Gene Sperling from either Ann Arbor or from some, I'm sure it's the same Gene Sperling. And I thought, well, at least they're sending somebody who has a little historical background on the auto companies and the UAW. But I can't understand why they decided not to do that. You know, I, I, we have not gotten any reason for the for that change of heart, uh, but I have to wonder if they thought maybe uh, they didn't want to muddle or muddy the waters. You know, let it let it kind of progress at its own pace until absolutely necessary. Um, huh. I, I wonder if I wonder if that wasn't the reason why. Well, if you if you believe the Wall Street Journal, and I generally do, they pretty much are laying this uh, strike. At the, at the feet of President Joe Biden and the administration for pushing EVs. And everybody knew that if these auto companies had to be creating electric vehicles, uh, they take far fewer people to build. I, I'm telling you, the auto industry is the toughest industry out there now. Imagine having a product that you're telling everyone is old and uh, the new stuff is coming. I mean, that's very hard. to. They have to sell the old internal combustion engine vehicles to be able to have the money to build the new EVs. It's a terrible position to be in, but it's. I, I thought that the Wall Street Journal's editorial was a pretty good one, laying it at the feet of Joe Biden, and now, now he's afraid of looking like he's meddling by sending two people that might have helped. Well, that was only that. that was my that was my observation. That was not Marie. the word from the White House. No, Marie. <laughs> Your observations are far better than most of the words that come from the White House. I know you don't like to hear that, but I'm just telling you. Thanks for that, Marie. We appreciate it. WJR Senior News Analyst in Canada, they said, We believe that this tentative agreement endorsed by the entire Master Bargaining Committee addresses all of the items raised by members in preparation for this round of collective bargaining. End of quote. See how easy that is? And they're just over the river. Oh, well. We continue. The mayor coming up next on WJR. Well, it's a big day, that's for sure. And uh, we're here at the Motor City Casino and celebrating uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon because it was 10 years ago that he made the big commitment of $200 million to the city of Detroit as the head of the nation's largest bank, joining Mayor Mike Duggan and others last night to celebrate this 10-year anniversary. And I thought, well, why don't we check in with the mayor and see how that went last night and how everything else is going with you, sir. Uh, it, was, it was a special night. All the folks that uh, uh, J.P. Morgan has helped over the last decade, um, Dan Carmody, it was great to see him out oh boy. Uh, from, from Eastern Market. It was his first uh, night out. And, of course, the community is, is behind him mm-hmm. with the tragedy. But you had all kinds of businesses, schools, philanthropic groups, housing projects, everything 
that uh, J.P. Morgan has supported. They all came out. It was amazing how many of them Jamie Dimon knew by name and told the stories of being in their businesses, being at their housing projects. Uh, and, you know, with, with Jamie Dimon and his right hand, uh, Peter Shear, uh, this hasn't been a business uh, transaction. It's really been a labor of love for them, and they're here uh, often, and it was, it was quite a party last night. We were in bankruptcy when all this happened. How did this happen? How did Jamie Dimon say, hmm, I think I want to help Detroit? You know, I was, I think, a month on the job in 2014, and we were in bankruptcy, and it seemed like uh, everybody in the, the state and the country had forgotten about Detroit. And I was just in my office, and my assistant came in and said, Jamie Dimon's on the phone. I said, that's really funny. She said, no, no, I think it's really him. Uh, and, and he called up to say uh, that he'd been watching what I was doing, and they wanted to back Detroit. Of course, NBD was one of their um, uh, pillars of what became J.P. Morgan Chase, and he had spent time here. Uh, and so uh, uh, they sent Peter Shear, his right hand, into town, and sat down and I said, here's what we need. We need funding for affordable housing projects. Our black and brown entrepreneurs oftentimes can't get loans from the banks. We need an entrepreneurs of color a loan fund. Uh, we would like to see you bring your call center jobs back to the United States and set them up here. Uh, and they listened, and one project after another after another uh, they implemented, and he started off saying he was going to do fifty million. It ended up being two hundred million because every time they put money in here, it worked out. Because he saw that the new mayor of Detroit really had a chance of turning the city around. And I've said it before; I'll say it again. You always get embarrassed. You always uh, push me away with this, but because you're the mayor and the way you've done this job, lots of people have come to the table to build, to grow, to move that would never have come here without the right mayor in place. So congratulations to you and thank you for everything that they've done in those 10 years with that $200 million. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been me. It's also been a city council. You have not had in the last decade the kind of embarrassment uh, with fights between the mayor and the council, anti-business uh, attacks by the council that we'd seen in past years, and you see in a number of other cities. And so I think that... A strong political partnership has created a climate where Amazon builds their largest center in Michigan here, where Stellantis builds uh, their biggest plant in decades uh, here with the, the Jeep plant, where Ford moves, uh, you know, 5,000 people into this city, into the train station. We've got a partnership here uh, where our elected officials work together. We have our shared disagreements, but we don't embarrass ourselves publicly. We work them out. Uh, in a room, and I think that's helped with Jamie Dimon, and Jamie Dimon's helped with a lot of other people nationally giving us credibility. He is indeed. It's amazing, frankly, and you don't hear that from as many banks. I mean, we always hear it from Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan. Uh, it is truly uh, incredible. In fact, uh, they've placed over 72,000 Detroiters into apprenticeships, full or part-time jobs, placed nearly 17,000 Detroiters in job training programs, creating or preserving over 5,000 affordable housing units, providing capital or technical assistance to more than 13,000 small businesses. The bank also worked with your uh, work agency, the Detroit Work Agency, to directly hire more than 90 employees for J.P. Morgan's Chase new virtual call center that you said you needed 10 years ago and you're getting. 
And this is a, a good example is, you know, I sat with Jamie and I said, you've got call centers all over the world. Put one in Detroit and I envisioned a room with a, a bunch of telephones and a bunch of folks trained. They came back and said, we're going to try it this way. We're going to try people uh, doing the call centers from home. And we got a system that could monitor folks. And so Detroit at Work gave them 50 Detroiters to interview. Uh, they were really pleased with the talent. But, and now it's gone so well that our at-home call center operators are outscoring on quality. Wow. Their number of their overseas centers, they've gone up to 90. These folks are making $25 an hour with benefits, mm. uh, and they go in and into the office every other week, once every other week. But otherwise, uh, they're doing their productivity from home, and, uh, and I think they'll continue to expand. And now we're talking to other folks saying, look, if J.P. Morgan can run their call center from Detroit, you don't have the overhead of the office buildings. Uh, why can't you do this too? You think 90 families uh, who've got a good middle-class income uh, just off of one program. It's been terrific. Terrific indeed. And I'll tell you what else is terrific, that the Detroit Economic Club has brought him back to celebrate what J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon did 10 years ago because we forget, unfortunately, and we don't know about lots of things that he has helped you with or done. You thanked him last night for helping with the COVID right. and, and, the, and getting the COVID-19 tests. Who would have ever guessed Jamie Dimon had a hand in that? I, I can't tell you the number of times, but when I was trying to get the Stellantis deal together, uh, there was an abandoned railroad track near the river that cut the center of the land I needed, and the local railroad people would not sell us. They were so arrogant. But I figured out who their parent company was on the East Coast. And it was the same thing. I called Jamie. And I said, I need you to get these guys to sell us the land. And he called me back about an hour later. He says, I talked to the parent company. They said that land is a, that track is essential. I went out and took a picture, overgrown with weeds. No train had run on it for <laughs> 10 years. I sent Jamie the picture. An hour later, I got a call from the local people. You had Jamie Diamond call our boss? They sold us the property, oh, good for uh, and it you. closed. It was the last parcel we needed to get that Jeep plant built. But this is the kind of friend that we've got uh, in, in the president of the largest bank of the country. Well, you don't think of it this way, but I do, knowing you for all the years I have. This is what you do, Mayor Duggan. This is why you doggedly go after things that people say can't be done, and somehow they get done. So you obviously have a great relationship with Jamie Dimon. So would you, would you do anything for him? Uh, you know, he's. I think he's one of the finest uh, people I've ever met. He's just a truly good person. Okay, so when Jamie Dimon praised you last night for guiding Detroit's post-bankruptcy recovery, um, he said, hmm, mayor, maybe president of the United States. And he said, I'll quit my job. I'll do any job you want. I'll carry your bag. So I just saw him, and I told him, Duggan for president is not trending on social media. Uh, so Jamie's uh, he's uh, bank, his he's banking skills don't have the same cloud of the political side. Uh, so the, uh, the campaign was brief, uh, but I think there's somebody else in this state who's more focused on D.C. than I am. Well, whatever you decide you want to do next, and, and I hope it's continue to be mayor, whatever it might be, you know that you'll have our support because I've watched you through several jobs over the years. And you've always done them well. Uh, well, thanks, Paul W., and uh, it's really nice to not have to get up early in the morning to talk to you. It's really nice to not have to get up early in the morning to talk to you. But I would if I had to. Uh, Mr. Mayor, 
Anything else you want to add? Anything else going on that we should know about? Things are good. Mayor Mike Duggan uh, here with us in focus uh, at this very special occasion with Jamie Dimon speaking here. And uh, just give my best to Dr. Sonia as well, would you? I will. Thanks, Paul. Well going to the Michigan game this. I uh, wouldn't miss it. You won't. You you're lucky. I can't go to all the games, and you work hard. You say you you have, well, you have discipline, and you have somebody who helps you with your schedule, uh, keeps your calendar. No, so I, I have a wife who is a, a Michigan grad who likes the games every bit as much as I do. So there's eight days a year where nothing goes on that calendar, and that should be simple enough for all of us. Good for you. Give her our best and go blue. All right. Thanks, Paul W. Mayor Mike Duggan here on Focus with Paul W. Smith. Well, we could be sitting across from somebody. There's nobody better to sit across from right now that knows the history of this fabulous club. She was the president and chief executive officer of the Detroit Economic Club from 2002 to 2017. Do I have those dates right? Uh, You definitely have those dates right. Well, you did a great job at, at that, and then you were... Executive Vice President, Corporate Communications, Investor Relations for CompuWare before that, and President and Chief Executive Officer of a consulting firm that you founded, the, Ch- the Chapel Group. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Now you're doing a lot of board work. I know that. Right. It's Beth Chapel, who we're so happy to, uh, to welcome back to WJR. How was Jamie Dimon? We were in here. I'll tell you, Paul W., Jamie Dimon never disappoints. He never disappoints. Dennis Archer Jr. did a great job moderating. I mean, he, he's just great. Oh, that's good. Well, I, it's it's hard to not like a guy who's uh, directed about $200 million of help <laughs> and a commitment 10 years ago when we were in big trouble. Yeah. Uh, I to, remember it well. He was at the Detroit Economic Club 10 years ago when they made those announcements. Right, and we interviewed yeah. him 10 years ago. You absolutely always do. So, uh, uh we can't catch him uh, this year for whatever reason. I mean, he, I think he just had to leave immediately after yeah. uh, he spoke. But I'm glad that that he did a great job. And we had uh, Mayor Mike Duggan here, who 10 years ago was just in the throes of the, being the mayor yes. and being into this uh, uh, bankruptcy and everything else. And, and Jamie Dimon looked at what Mike Duggan was doing and said, I like this guy. I think we can help. He did. Well, and he did mention that in, in the session today. Oh, did he? he talked about uh, why Detroit and, and certainly his personal beliefs in giving back to the, not giving back, actually investing. He right. was very clear. This is not philanthropy. This is an investment, and it's been an investment that's been very, very good for certainly the bank and very good for our residents. I wonder if they do that in a lot of communities. They do. They, they do, they but do. not every. Not, and not this much? Correct. Or? Correct. This is it's big. This, this is very started big. as fifty million and got up to two hundred million. Yes, Mayor and Archer was also um, in the crowd, and he talked about he Jamie talked about Mayor Archer's leadership, and then coming in with you know Mike Duggan here many years later, and, and that leadership must make a difference. It makes well, a course. huge difference. Of course, I, I must say, Beth Chapel, I think we met. When you were at, at the first time we met was at the Detroit Economic Club when you were running yeah. that. You did an amazing you. job. You did it for a very long time. Thank you. You know, I wouldn't sign a three-year contract. <laughs> well. <laughs> and 15 years later, I never did sign a contract. You, never, you said, I'm not going to commit myself for three years, but I'll stay for 15. <laughs> well, good for you. It was, it was good for us yeah. that you did that. But, you know, the world is different now, I think. Yeah. It's a lot different. And... Uh, I think it's probably Steve Gregorian has his hands full compared to 
I mean, it was always oh, difficult for you, but it just seems like it's more difficult than ever. I, You know, every year people say that, and every year it is more difficult because people are, are social media. There's a whole lot of things that are different in our world. But at the end of the day, people still do business with people. And I think the pandemic, at least for me, and I know you and I have talked about this with many of our friends, I mean, isolation is not such a good thing. Oh, it's a bad thing. Living with those devices in front of you, and we're all guilty of it. We all live, you know, by yep. our phones. Yep. But I think there still is a very, very important place for the Detroit Economic Club, and I think Steve and the team have done a fabulous job. I think so, too. But I have to tell you, I think it's harder and harder getting people out it is. to an event like this. And, and obviously... Uh, Steve did a great job in his team, and it doesn't hurt having Jamie Dimon, right. <laughs> who, who is so highly regarded around the country, around the world. Because I, I don't did anyone announce how many people are here? There's a lot of people here. You know, I would I should know that just by eyeballing it, but I came in a little late. I You're out of the phone. eyeballing I business. I know, I know. I'm <laughs> never out of the eyeballing business. Are you kidding me? I guess by not. the way, Jamie Dimon made it very clear that he is not running for president. Because that was one of the first questions, of course, that was asked. Every, Is that right? That's, that's, you heard it here. I thought, well, <laughs> I, did he say anything? Well, this was at the, uh, the little thing last night uh, where he had complimented uh, Mike Duggan of doing such a great job. And he said, let's see, uh, Mayor, maybe you could be President of the United States, is what I'm told he said. Mm-hmm. And said he would quit his job and do any job you want. I'll carry your bag. But Mike Duggan wasn't uh, jumping at that one. Yes. Well, what Jamie Dimon said today, today was that he would love to be president of the United States. And he didn't, he didn't, he stopped short of saying he would be a great president. I think the rest of us in the audience just Thought he felt would be. that. Yeah. And uh, he said if he didn't, if he could be anointed president, he would do it in a minute. <laughs> but he really doesn't want to run for president. Well, I can only imagine. I we, mean, I certainly wouldn't want that. We have created an atmosphere. And when I say we, yeah. I don't like to, I, I mean, the media in a very big way mm-hmm. has created a circumstance and situation that we know now that when someone announces that they're going to seek that office or virtually any office anymore, Teams of people are sent out to find out bad things oh, about them. I know. I know. If they're in your underwear drawer, who wants anybody? Mine's pretty nasty. I don't think, you know. I don't want to really think of that, I but I, <laughs> they are. They're into, they, I mean, they, I mean, they find no out that, you're, that your right. kid, when he was in kindergarten, uh, punched a kid yeah. or something, and yeah. uh, all of a sudden, and, and then you drag your family through that, yeah. and it's not worth it. Right. It's, it's hard, and, and yet we so desperately need strong leaders. We need leaders. good people. Absolutely. We, we need not egomaniacs. Right. We need good people who want to serve this country for the right reason. And most of them have become successful or wealthy um, doing something else, and then they say, well, I now I owe it to the country to do this or do that. Right. I mean, other than Joe Biden, who became very wealthy in office. <laughs> he became, uh, being vice president, making 200000 a year if he made that. Uh, who knew it could make him worth millions and millions and millions of dollars? Good for him. He's really, he's worked very hard and very smart, hasn't he? Yes. With the help of his son, Hunter. Mm-hmm. Beth Chappell. Paul W., it is always so good to see you. And I am, as I told you when I came, I'm so delighted to listen to you now at this time of day. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you, Beth. We'll see you soon. Okay, Paul. Take care. Beth Chappell, she served as president and chief executive officer of this august group, the Detroit Economic Club, from 2002 to 2017. She is legendary. She was very successful and gave this club a tremendous base, a great foundation, of which our next guest, Steve Gregorian, has built and done well with, too, as we continue in focus at WJR. This is the best group I've seen, well, in a long time, but i got the guy in front of me who can tell us exactly where we are in terms of turnout because he's done such a great job, as we just mentioned, when we were talking to Beth Chappell. He's the current president and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club, Steve Gregorian. Steve, it is a pleasure and a privilege. Thanks for inviting us to be here. We're honored to be here. The pleasure is 100% mine, Paul W., and I know we've got a terrifically long history with WJR, a great relationship, and I think it's so cool that you're here, and we've got some plans to have you join us at many upcoming DEC events. We love it. The energy is through the roof, and the people here are really excited to have you, so thank you. We are excited to be here and to see really a who's who of Detroit and the region of the surrounding area, um, it helps to have a Jamie Diamond. But you've been doing a good job under the worst of circumstances, coming out of COVID and all of that. Uh, it's hard to get people to come out of their homes or if they're back at the office, come out of their office. It's hard for the crowd, but you've done it. And I bet it's harder to get speakers to come by. It used to be, man, oh, man, you used to have everybody anybody who was anybody speak but i think it's harder because i don't think a lot of them are getting out like they used to i would agree paul w i would also say we're really lucky we still are known as one of the most valued podiums in the world so that definitely helps we've got a great history of fortune 100 ceos when they want to get a message out top government officials they pick the detroit economic club podium to do so i will say that with the extra scrutiny especially with the fortune 100 companies and wall street any one little word they say in public on stage could tank their stock they are being very very careful about their public appearances right that's a good point for sure but uh, this is the biggest crowd i've seen in a long time and How many, what are we thinking, what's the number like? It's 1,000 people, and that is the largest crowd we have had since the pandemic. We would pull those pre-pandemic when things were really going well, but it has been a little bit of a struggle, but we've gotten back to a point where our members are coming out. Uh, they're downtown working again. We'd like to see them a little more than they are. Than they are. So with the businesses downtown. Yeah, of course, yeah. and I said on stage, too. We need to get you working downtown. We've got uh, a program coming up in early November. It's our Future of Work series, and uh, the CEOs will be Sarah Armbruster from Steelcase and Bill Emerson from the Rocket Companies, and they're going to talk about the physical workspace and what it takes to bring employees back to the office. And I said on stage, we're better together. We need to be in the office. I'm tired of looking out my window downtown and seeing only a small portion of what I used to see. What you used to see. Exactly. Well, you're right. I mean, we need to get that going. As tough as it might be, uh, we need our city. You know, it's like we're snake bit because 
we were turning it around and things were going really well. And then this, then the pandemic, and we fell back far. And it's very hard climbing that mountain back up. And uh, and I admit it, I, I, I did my show from home for two years, and it worked fine. And it's a lot easier than getting up an hour and a half earlier and changing and doing all the things you do to go into work and get into the parking garage or find a place to park and then get up to the studios. Sure was easy to roll out of bed. And, and during that time, we pivoted like every business did, and we certainly went virtual for a couple of years until our members told us, no mas, I can't jump on another voluntary Zoom. I'm on it all day long for uh, business meetings. Mm. And so uh, we've really tapered off. I don't think we've done one for probably a year now. So no kidding. We've spent a lot of time uh, just thinking through uh, the world has changed, and what are the type of topics that our members want to come out to hear? We've spent a lot of time. One thing that we know is missing, we've got one-third of our membership is, is what we call young leaders age, between the age of 21 and 39, and they suffered badly not being in the office because they missed the office water cooler talk. They missed just popping in and listening and learning from leaders. So we've been very intentional about producing professional development programs for those young leaders and for students. Students, I talk to a lot of students, high school students mostly and college students. They're really scared of the, the, the massive change in the world. They're scared about careers and something they may be interested now. What's that going to be in a few years? I know you've got uh, our good friend John Fickney coming up. He does a terrific job. He's, he has great relationships with many of our young leaders. He kicks off our Career Readiness Academy each year, talking to 300 high school students, and uh, we've got him lined up to do that as well. So very intentional about handing uh, hands up to the future generations. We're spending some time with Steve Gregori, and this is his baby, and it's a successful one. Over 1,000 people here right now. He's the president and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club. Um, you talked about some of the things uh, for the young leaders, 21 to 39. What else have you heard uh, is the kind of topic that they'd like you to address and the kind of people they'd like you to bring in that will keep them coming back? Sure. Um, I would say there's so much uncertainty in the economy. So any talk about you know, somebody as brilliant as Jamie Dimon talking about the economy, U.S. and geopolitical effects on the economy as mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. really important to them as they plan their businesses going forward. So the economy always, it's in, it's in our name. So that's always going to be a topic that interests people. Artificial intelligence is uh, another one. Uh, and just technology's massive impact and how quickly it's changing. Everybody's trying to wrap their heads around that. I'm sorry. It, uh, Rieger, put your headset on for a second. I'm telling you, this artificial intelligence, the AI, I mean, it's been around, it's been around. It's exploded now, and people are using it in ways that I thought wouldn't be acceptable. Rieger, what's the story you told me recently that, it, well, I told you the one about the obituary that was written by AI, which kind of screwed up. It said, at 42, he's now useless. Whoops, that's not exactly the way you want it to come out in an obituary. But, Rieger, you had talked to me about some of these other things that people, I know that people have turned over their their calendars to AI. That their yeah. calendars will be 
what I did was when we had uh, when you interviewed Alan Dershowitz, and I uh, I had AI write the tweet for me when I tweeted it uh, from, on our social media, and it was it was amazing. It did an incredible job. And to me, that's scary. And it's got to be really scary for the people who make a living writing, which is kind of why we have the after SAG and everything else now on strike, uh, because they can see the writing. The, the writing on the wall has been written by AI, and they can see it and realize their jobs are in jeopardy. And I think that might be true a, a, across a lot of platforms. I think they're uh, agreed. There will be some loss of jobs, but if you look back over the history of technology, when we've had major technological shifts, we've had a net gain in jobs because new jobs are created to be able to understand and use that technology. And I think the same will happen with artificial intelligence. Listen, from from your lips to God's ears, that's uh, very optimistic, and I I really appreciate your approach on that. Uh, Jamie Dimon talked about it, too. Artificials, uh, there's nefarious actors, of course, um, you know, in the financial world, but certainly artificial intelligence has amplified that. So he talked about some of the stuff that they have to do now to double, triple, quadruple verify things. Always a pleasure, Steve Gregorian, president and CEO of the Detroit Economic Club. Thanks for the invitation today, and you just said you're going to invite us back for some more. We'll be here. I look forward to the next time and all the times. Thank you. We continue on WJR. John Fickney coming up next. We close out the program with a good friend, John Fickney, founder and CEO of the Fickney Group. I know a lot about John because we've been very close friends for many, many years. In fact, Fick and his beautiful wife, Marcy, were there with me when I met my beautiful wife, Kim. It was our first date, and he sat with her for the dinner. It's a long story. And we walked behind her as she was walking back to me saying, marry her, marry her. And I said, Fick, it's our first date. I remember I announced your firstborn, Elizabeth, on the air before anyone knew, unfortunately, including your family. So I may have jumped the gun on that. I'm not going to try to let out any secrets today, Fick. People know you around town as a very active community leader for years. So I know that you've got the uh, Fickney Group. I know that you do a great job with the Young Leaders and the Career Readiness Academy. What, what else are you doing? You're doing a lot of board work, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to be on a bunch of different boards here uh, in Michigan and outside of Michigan. And as you know, we're sitting here right now for the Detroit Economic Club. And, boy, they do a great job today. And Steve Gregorian is such a great leader. And to have Jamie Diamond here was just incredible. It's so cool to see a 1,000 people here yeah. in the room again. it's been a long time. But I, I'm on the board of the Detroit Economic Club, uh, the Detroit Regional Chamber, uh, Detroit Athletic Club, uh, the Parade Company, Boys and Girls Club. As you know, I was on Focus Hope for many years. Beyond Basics with Pam Good and Gang 11 and uh, Digital Lakes, but also some boards, out, uh, business boards as well, and councils like Blue Cross Blue Shields Council and Optech and some other companies out of the state. That I sit on boards for. Well, they all benefit. Any board that has John Fickney as a member is benefiting. Uh, remembering you as a senior executive for Microsoft for most of your career, then uh, Dan Gilbert said, hey, I think we could use some of your services. You went to work for uh, Dan Gilbert and his family of companies, and then, and then you started the Fickney Group. How would you describe the Fickney Group? Well, that was an easy, a, a real interesting transition because I was at Microsoft, as you know, for 13 years. You worked with... But you worked, when you were doing that, Bill Gates, Larry Ellison, Steve Ballmer. I mean, the list, Dan Gilbert, yeah. I mentioned, yeah. the list is incredible. I've been pretty blessed to to work with a lot of generational leaders. And uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if you saw that book or read that book a uh, long time ago by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. I almost feel like I'm blessed to have that same opportunity where I've been put in a place to really work closely with and fly around with and learn from some of the biggest leaders in industries. And I'm blessed to say that uh, uh, Microsoft being one of those, but also working with Dan Gilbert. That was an incredible experience. But then after a while, as you know, I wanted to spend more time with my family and want to start working on my own passion, which is helping other people develop and grow. And that's why I started the Fickney Group. Well, it, it, everybody that's done, done anything with the Fickney Group has benefited. You have a lot of clients around town and nationally. And In fact, talk to me a little bit about some of the, some of the companies you've worked with. Well, I'm blessed to have just recently keynoted for Sandy Pierce and Steve, the CEO of Huntington Bank, uh, you know, DTE with Trevor Law and his executives that all flew in many times for Dan Lepp and his teams at Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, ITC Holding with an Aspie and Beautiful. Plant Moran Cranes, and the list goes on, and Mali and a lot of automotive companies. But I also, outside of the state, I'm blessed to be able to speak for a lot of great companies and organizations as well. And the part I love is I get to go to some really cool places. For example, the golf industry. So I've gotten to go to present for Pebble Beach out there in California, Whistling Straits and Kohler in Wisconsin. I spent a lot of time at uh, Pinehurst in North Carolina. Multiple times I'm out there. I'm part of the family out there as well. So I really love to do that. It gives me a lot of passion to give back that way as well. I have seen John speak a million times, and I learn something every time. So I'm going to give a plug here, not to embarrass you, but how do people get a hold of the Fickney Group? Because I think there are a lot of people listening that could benefit from your services. Well, the best way to get a hold of me right now, because we're revamping the website, is to hit me on LinkedIn or to get me at John uh, dot Fickney at the Fickney Group. John at FickneyGroup.com. I'm sorry. John at FickneyGroup.com. That's F-I- the best way to get a hold of me. F-I-K-A-N-Y. That's correct. And Paul, before, before I let this drop here, is that I just want to thank you for everything you do. Uh, you're such a pillar here in the community, and I've been fortunate to not only call you a great friend, but this week I've got to be with you three different times at the Huntington Dinner, at your fabulous fundraiser that you put on uh, the golf outing this week. It was incredible, and then here today. So I can't thank you enough for the impact you're having, and you and Kim are having in our community. You're not only the voice of Detroit, you're the best friend of so many people. So thank you for what you do. You're very kind, John. John Fickney, give my best to your beautiful wife, Marcy, and thanks for shouting out to my Kim. She's the best. You can find us at thegreatvoice.com, the podcast. Stand by for news and WJ Afternoon with Chris Renwick. Thanks to the gang here for helping us online here. And we'll be at the 100 Club Heroes event, Valor Awards, tonight.